This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Praise the Lord. Well, are you ready for the word tonight? Okay. This is the third installment in our series that is entitled All In, and it means exactly that. We're teaching about how to get all in with God, not partially in. We're not talking about wading into the water with our ankles and knee deep. We're talking about diving in. The third installment tonight really deals with the subject of if you want to be all in, you have to let him in. You have to let God in. Some years ago, my wife and I were on vacation at Sun City. For those of you that have been there before, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The Lost City is kind of a big feature. And so we, we were there. Shanna was about four or five years old, somewhere around there. And um, we went to, we were staying in the cabanas, but we wanted to go see what the Lost City was like. So we went to the Lost City, and you go into the tower at the Lost City. You can go all the way up, and you can take a look at what's happening around. And um, and somehow in the confusion, I mean, to talk about apparent failure, this was a huge apparent failure on our part, but um, we got distracted. We were supposed to be coming down in the lift, and we got distracted. Anyway, Shanna's four, year, four years old. She trundles into the lift and pushes a button. So while we're looking, the moment when we turn around and look, here all of a sudden the doors are closing and my daughter's gone. You can imagine as a father and a mother how that must feel, the kind of, now I'm sure for her it was a party. <laughs> she, you know, she's, Shanna's just like that. I'm sure for her, she was pushing buttons thinking, wee, I'm going to go right. But you see, the point I'm trying to make is this over here that I desperately wanted to get into that lift. I sensed the danger. I sensed the disconnection between me and her. I knew that her life was extremely vulnerable at that point because, I mean, she could have got taken by someone. She, I wouldn't have known what floor. I can't even remember how many floors there are. But she could have got out on any number of floors. Someone could have got in the lift, and so it was a desperate situation. I remember my wife and I were, were quite, we were quite panicky, as you can understand. And so it's with that thought and um, with that emotion that I want you to, I want you to consider as I, teach, as I teach this message tonight. I have no doubt that there are folks here tonight that have allowed Jesus into their hearts, and students, really this message is steered more towards you tonight as you commit your future to the Lord and your ministries. But I have no doubt that we've all surrendered our hearts to Jesus, most of us here tonight. But we'll also acknowledge, if you know yourself, like I know myself, that there are just some doors that remain closed in our lives. Like that elevator door. You know, we might be in the lost city, we might be in the kingdom, we might be in a relationship with God, but there's certain areas in our lives where those doors are closed and Jesus is desperately wanting to get in, but we're keeping those doors closed and we're saying, Lord, you can have everything, but, but I, don't, I, don't, I don't trust you with this. We don't say that with our mouths and we don't even say it in our prayer time, but we just, we just we make sure that that door remains closed. Revelation chapter three and verse 20, you know this verse very, very well. It says the following, Jesus is speaking in Revelations 3.20, and we're going to be kind of going from the back to the front. I'm finishing on verse 20, starting on verse 20, but we're going to be going to back, back to verse 14. And in Revelation 3 and verse 20, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat or dine with that person and they with me. Now, there was an artist by the name of William Holman Hunt. He was a belligerent atheist. It was actually this verse that caused him to come to Christ. Now, I'm not big on paintings. 
Um, although I would say out of the last four messages, I used a painting of the, of this, of the prodigal son, and now I'm going to be using this William Holman Hunt's painting. This painting over here, as they bring it up, is actually called the light of the world. Isn't that beautiful? He came to Christ as a result of Revelations chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. And he painted that painting. And so there's a few observations I'd like to draw your attention to on this painting. First and foremost, the halo around the head of Christ represents salvation. You can imagine Jesus coming up as we speak to the door of your heart that was closed before you received Christ, and he comes bearing gifts. Number one, he comes as a savior. That's what the halo represents. Notice the lamp in his hand. That represents the word of God. But you notice something else distinct about this painting. First, you notice this, the scrub and the weeds and the grass that have grown in front of that door. You can see that that door hasn't been opened in a very, very long time. And tonight, as I minister to each and every one of you, for many of you, you've never received Christ, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But I want this door that is shut over there to represent more than just salvation. Perhaps it represents an area in your life that you've not yet completely surrendered and opened to the Lord. And there's another thing I want you to notice, that that door hadn't been opened. There had been no traffic in and out that door for a very long time. But the most significant thing we notice about that painting is that that door doesn't have a handle on the outside, which is exactly why Jesus tells us in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. You see, the handle to that door is on the inside and can only be opened by us. What a beautiful painting that really describes the desire of God to want to infiltrate not just one area of your life, but every area of your life. Can I get an Amen. So those are the three things that we notice. So we must ask ourselves two questions based upon this painting. The first question we must ask ourselves is why, firstly, is Jesus on the outside? Well, the Jesus, Jesus over there is on the outside simply because that person has not opened the door. But secondly, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Is there any area in my life where I've kept Jesus on the outside. I'll be giving you a few examples a bit later on, but maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe you're dating someone and you've never really allowed Jesus to come into that relationship for fear of maybe losing it. Perhaps you know that that relationship isn't what God wants. Or maybe it's what God wants, but you're not living and it's leading you to a place of impurity. But that door is shut. I want you to know that Jesus is going to continue knocking until that door opens. Thank God he does not give up, okay? He continues knocking and knocking and knocking. Can you imagine the Savior of the world continually pursuing you, wanting to gain access into every area of your life and not just occupy your heart, but also your mindsets, so we're going to be going to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14 right now, but I want to give you a bit of context before we read any further. This is the seventh letter written to the seventh church. In Revelation, Jesus addresses seven letters to seven different churches. Now, these churches were historical churches in Asia. They actually existed. But more importantly than that, the words of Jesus serve as a prophetic warning 
for us in today's church. So notice what he says here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. I want you to notice that Jesus over here is not speaking to Laodiceans, but he's actually speaking to the Christians and the church within Laodicea. Now, you've got to notice something very specific about this city, Laodicea. First of all, this city had three huge industries that were more successful than most of Rome. Number one, Laodicea had a very strong banking and economic sector and industry. In actual fact, people would invest in Laodicea simply because of their strong financial means. This speaks about the influence of money. So you can imagine, because they had so much wealth within Laodicea, people had become self-sufficient. They'd become self-sufficient in many ways, and it had crept into the church. Well, we don't need to trust God because our businesses are doing great. Maybe you're here today and your business is thriving, and you yourself know that because your business is thriving, you don't find yourself trusting God for anything anymore. You don't wake up in the morning saying, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, because in the bank account, you've got, give me this millennium. You got so much money. You got more money than month. You got more money than millennium. So you don't find yourself waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I need you. Give me this day my daily bread. So you can see that the, that the industry and the banking industry of Laodicea had made the community independent of God, but the church was also becoming independent of God. The door was shut. That was one place they weren't allowing the Lord in. So it fostered a whole lot of self-sufficiency. In actual fact, the city's motto, the city's motto was this, we have need of nothing. When you walked into Laodicea, regardless of who you were, the city's ethos and motto was, we have need of nothing. But yet we're going to find out how desperately in need they were. They thought they were good. They thought they were fine. They thought they were hunky-dory. But yet we're going to find out what Jesus has to say. The second huge industry they had was textiles. I mean, people would come from the, throughout the Roman Empire really just to purchase textiles and cloth from the Laodiceans. And this speaks about self-centeredness. It speaks about a church and a community and Laodicea that were so self-centered. They were worried more about how they looked and how they dressed. I mean, if they were in today's age, they would be the selfie capital of the world. I mean, they would be taking selfies of themselves 24-7. Incidentally, do you know that the average millennial, right now, 95 million selfies are taken every day? 95 million selfies. On average, a millennial will, will, an, a, a, a millennial will take 27,000 selfies of themselves before they, before they die. I mean, there were the good old days when we had camera phones, you'd have to be looking at the subject and take a picture, but it seems like this whole self, selfishness, self-occupation uh, with self has now been worked into technology because now you can even see yourself while you're taking a picture of someone else because you've got the front camera and the reverse camera. I mean, on the Samsungs, you can walk around while you're speaking in camera and take it. I know it may, be, it may seem silly, but that's where these Laodiceans were at. I mean, they were so self-aware, not God-aware, self-aware. They had all the money, they had all the material, they had all the textiles. So we have, to become, we have to be very careful that we don't become as self-centered 
as what they are. And it's possible to become this way in the church. Otherwise, Jesus would never have needed to write this letter. The third industry that they really were leaders in was in medicine. They had the first school of ophthalmology, which has to do with eyes. And they had all these medicines for eyes. People would come from around Rome to be treated. And this speaks about the, the preeminence of knowledge. These were a bunch of clever cats. In Laodicea, the people were smart. It speaks about the preeminence of knowledge. And what this did was, this fostered a self-salvation kind of God, I've got this. Thank you for coming into my heart and saving me, but you know what, scientifically, I've got this figured out. You know, I know what's best for my body. Sounds familiar in today's society. I know what's best for my body. I, hey, I know what's best for my future. Thank you for coming into my heart and saving me, but there's certain things you can't consult on. Lord, I've got this. Lord, I know what's best for our planet. Today, people think the best thing for our planet is if we burn this thing up, well, we may as well just go and occupy Mars. They're already doing some sort of investigation to see if there's life on other planets or what other planets are hospitable. So they're trying to, with their knowledge, even in today, trying to figure out, and that's the kind of position that the Laodiceans found themselves in. They found themselves in a place of plenty of money, with plenty of self-interest, and plenty of knowledge. But the problem is, although they thought, God, we've got this, really, they don't got this. And that's what Jesus is drawing their attention to. I saw a sign once, and it's actually quite profound. It reads as follows. We are drowning in knowledge, but starved for wisdom. We're a church that's drowning in knowledge, but starved for wisdom. You see, God's plan for our future is not to go and occupy Mars and oxygenate the atmosphere. He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. And the only way you're going to make it to the new heaven and the new earth is to catch the shuttle, and that shuttle is Jesus. There's no other way. Amen. Give God a hand of praise. So we see here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. So this is addressed to the church and not the culture of the time, but the culture had infiltrated the church. These are the words, I love the way Jesus introduces himself, right off the cuff here in verse 14. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, Jesus introduces himself all throughout Revelation. But over here, he makes a point in saying, listen, I am the ruler of all of God's creation. I have the final say. I have the final authority. You think you're okay, but without me, you are not. Let's go to Revelation verse three, chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor Hot. I mean, this was, when I was in youth, there were two scriptures I learned, John 3.16 and Revelation 3.15. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but if you're not hot and cold, you're on your way to hell. That was these, I mean, these two verses, so, so don't come, so don't have any preconceived ideas about the scripture, hot or cold, oh, Lord, Pastor Andre's coming down on me because I'm kind of temperate. No, no, no. We're going to learn something a bit deeper about these verses. We're going to dig a bit deeper as we talk about how to let Jesus in in every area of our lives. 
So Jesus goes on to say, I know your deeds, speaking to the church of Laodicea, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now that almost sounds like a judgment from Christ, but really it wasn't. And unless you understand the context of this verse and where Laodicea was situated, you would construe this as Jesus judging the church. But that's not what he's doing. Because you see, Laodicea had wealth, they had banking, they had science, but what they did not have was water. Laodicea did not have water. They had to actually, with aqueducts, bring water in, for example, from Colossae. Now, the water from Colossae was wonderful. It was sweet. It was cool. But because it traveled such a different distance in the aqueducts, by the time it got to um, Laodicea, it was heated and temperate. And also, when the aqueducts brought in water from other areas that were really um, sulfuric and, and hot, by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. So if you were traveling into Laodicea and you went to a spring and you drank the water, I mean, how many of you have ever had a warm protein shake? Huh? A warm protein shake. I like my coffee hot. My PA knows, my wife knows, that coffee must come to me steaming. She waits for it to be lukewarm and then she drinks it. I can't imagine anything more disgusting than lukewarm and cold coffee. I can't, I'm sorry. How many of you enjoy lukewarm coffee? No, you, coffee's meant to be hot, you know? And so, you, I mean, a lukewarm protein shake. Lord have mercy. I mean, it's a gag reflex. That's what Jesus is speaking about over here. He's speaking about a gag reflex, like, huh? you know, uh, that was not what I was expecting. So the picture that is painted over here is simply this, that because they were so far away from the source of water, they thought they were okay, but they were disconnected from the source of life. And the reason they were so disconnected was simply because they thought they were set. They were so far away from the source that even what they thought they had was of no value to God. And this is why we're a church of next steps here at Christian Family Church. You'll see we're always pushing next steps, whether it's group, groups, whether it's growth track, whether it's dream team service, whether it's Bible college, because we fundamentally believe that next steps is what helps us live a life in pursuit of God and in service of God. We make sure that people are so connected and serving in the church that they don't get time to get lukewarm. Praise God. You don't get time to get lukewarm over here. You can get lukewarm if you choose not to get involved, if you choose to be a pew warmer and do nothing else and just simply come and hear about the word of God and get fat and do nothing. But we're a church that believes in next steps. Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold because of that I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, it's our next steps that really protects us from self-centeredness. It's impossible to serve and remain selfish. Say that with me. It's impossible to serve and remain selfish. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who knows? No. The one who attends? No. The one who? Service can protect us from all three of these areas that we perhaps value and have built our foundation, our religious foundation on. So let's move on to Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Jesus continues to say, he says, you say, I am rich. He's speaking to the church, remember. 
These words ring true for us today, and Jesus is speaking to each and every one of us. He, he spoke very clearly to me, and I'll tell you my story in a moment. He spoke very clearly to me about a door that I'd progressed, that I'd shut quite a few years ago in my life and wasn't allowing the Lord to get involved in. I'll speak about that in a moment. But he's speaking to us, and he says, you say, I am rich. I'm, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Notice those last three descriptions of what the church is like. He says, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Isn't it interesting how that is connected to the very three industries that Laodicea had built their reputation on. They thought they were rich, they thought they had all the knowledge, and they thought that they were fine and self-centered was okay. That's where they thought they were. So the spirit of this age wants us, and that's what Jesus is saying over here. Meaning that you are poor, Jesus is saying, you think it's, it's all on you. You've gotta do it, you're gonna have to make it work. You think that you're dependent, you've got everything, just wait. Something's going to happen where you're going to realize that your money cannot help you. Your money's not enough. No matter how much you've saved, it's not there. It's a very volatile place to be in. Jesus goes on to say that you are blind. What he's saying is good luck trying to figure it out. Let me tell you, it's frustrating. It's frustrating in the absence of the knowledge of God how we continue to live. Jesus is speaking and describing how, how he sees them when they really say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't need a thing. Jesus is drawing the point over you, and he says, you're naked. You're naked, which means you're covering. You're not covering, your, you're trying to cover your transgressions with good works of service. Without letting Jesus in, you're trying to compensate and do something else. Perhaps you know the Lord's been dealing with you concerning the tithe, and he's trying to lead you to that place of obedience where you are to tithe, but you're trying to do something else in order to mitigate that. So you'll go serve on the, on the, on the orphanage and agents team. You'll go work with Pastor Tracy in welfare, and you'll go do all these kinds of things to try and, to try and bypass allowing God into your finances. Maybe that door's been shut, like that elevator with Rebecca, with Shanna in it, that that door's been shut. Lord, you can, you can, have, you can come in, you can knock, but that door's not gonna be opened. That door's not gonna be opened to you. So Jesus says over here, he says, you're poor, blind, and naked, addressing those three industries. And this is what he goes on to say in those verses. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in fire, so you can become rich. They thought they were rich. Jesus says, you need me to become rich. He says, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve, Jesus says, to put on your eyes so you can see. So here we contrast these two differing opinions of how the church of Laodicea saw themselves versus how Jesus saw themselves, and then Jesus offering the solution. He said, come and buy from me gold, which by the way, has been purchased for us at Calvary already. He says, instead of pressure to perform and earn and build your business and grow, because money begets money, greed begets greed. He says, instead of all of that, instead of having all that pressure, you can come to me and have peace, and I will be your source of provision. You don't have to depend upon yourself anymore. Look at Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't clothed like the lilies of the field. 
Transfer that trust. Let him in. Stop trying to be the captain of your own finances and allow Christ to come in as he knocks on that door and take over that responsibility. He says, come and get soul for your eyes. Instead of being frustrated, you can once again have a vision for the future. I was speaking with a young man this morning who's been suffering from some depressive episodes. And one of the fundamental reasons why so many people become depressed is because they're hopeless. They don't see light at the end of the tunnel. He's very successful in business, very, very successful. But yet he has these bouts of depression where suicidal thoughts even begin to creep in. And the reason is really because he doesn't have any hope for the hope of the future. And God is a God of hope. Pastor Theo taught about it last week. God is a God of hope. To be hopeless is actually to be godless. And let me tell you, students, your future is bright. You don't have to worry about hope is not a risk because God says you will have it. He, the God has given that to you, okay? So we are, we are hopeful. We are, not, we are not hopeless. And I was counseling him and encouraging him, listen, you need to open that door. You need to trust God in that area of your life. You're trying to control your future. You see, he's just seeing unemployment levels shooting through the roof. He's just seeing impossibilities. And he's saying, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I said, how about just transferring? And that's what Jesus is saying over here. He's saying, I'm inviting you. Be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. In Revelation chapter three and verse 19, it goes on to say, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. So we, we read Revelation three and verse 20 first, but take a look at the contents wherein it is presented over here. It had to do with these people's self-dependency. It had to do with their confidence in their own ability to create wealth. It had to do with their depending upon their understanding of problem solving to be able to make a way for themselves. And Jesus in the last over here says, but here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and I really do pray tonight that if you are here, you hear the voice of the Lord. And I wanna ask this question. As I've spoken tonight, is there any area of your lives where you've kept Jesus on the outside? Think about that for the moment. If you don't know, just say, Holy Spirit, where have I shut you out? Where have I become more dependent on self than I have about you? You see, some years ago, when you get into your 50s, you start to think differently. Ask Pastor Johnny. Well, he's in his 60s now. He thinks very differently. But anyway, and maybe it's because we're friends. Maybe it's because he's, we're friends and, and he's closer to retirement than I am that that kind of thing began to get on me, you know. But when you start getting older, you start thinking about retirement. Now, don't come to me. Oh, Pastor Andre, you don't retire. You refire. <laughs> you refire. Anyway, so... So the older you get, you start, to make, you start to think about making plans. I mean, I got to 48, and the word retire came up for the first time. Um, there's many pastors that have been in church here that have retired, and so it came, the subject came up for the first time, and I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I'm going to have to work till I die, <laughs> because I, I, hadn't saved, I hadn't saved a nickel, nothing. It was actually speaking to Pastor Johnny, because he's been very clever, very good that way with his finances, you know? So speaking to him, I thought, I said to my wife, listen, we better start making a plan. I mean, if we're going to retire, if we're ever going, and I'll do whatever Jesus wants me to do, but let me tell you, I am planning to take long walks on the beach with my wife and not work seven days a week. Is that okay with everyone? Praise the Lord, wonderful. If it wasn't, tough. But anyway, so, 
So, so I started having a lot of discussions with people about retirement, about income, and about savings and investments and that kind of stuff to, to maintain my lifestyle now when I retire, and I nearly fell off the chair when I, when I saw what it was. But now I've never stopped tithing, I've never stopped giving. I've never stopped being generous. But what began to happen was I began my conversation, began to deal a lot with my investments. In actual fact, it became a habit. Every three or four days, I'd go onto my, my banking app and I'd go take a look at my investments and see how it was growing because now I'm trying to do the maths. If I save this much by then, I can retire by then, boom, boom. You know the kind of talk that makes the Lord laugh. And one specific evening, my wife and I were having this discussion about retirement. And if you're my friend and you know me, we've spoken about this, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. My wife and I were busy talking about it. In actual fact, we were YouTubing places to retire cheap on YouTube. Right? A cheap retirement, it gets addictive. Don't do it. Anyway, so only if you're late 50s or early 60s. So we're watching this and now we're romanticizing the possibility of maybe retiring early if we save enough, you know. And I, and I said to Christine, I stopped and I said, I sense the Lord in heaven is laughing because we've done it so often. And this is the image that I got. <laughs> the Father saying to Jesus and the Holy Ghost, hey guys, come here quickly. He's gonna start talking about the plans he's making. <laughs> he's gonna start talking about the plans he's trying to make. Let's just listen to what goes on over here. You know, and I've got this awareness that the Lord and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are saying, look at this video, the plans of a man's heart, but my will prevails. Look how dependent he's becoming on his retirement savings and all this kind of stuff and what he's gonna buy and sell, how he's gonna manipulate this and how he's gonna do that. And I got this image of the Lord literally laughing and saying to me, listen, Every step towards self-sufficiency is a step away from me. Every step towards self-sufficiency. You see, the Bible says the just shall live by faith, which means even in retirement, it's gonna take faith to survive. I was trying to position myself where I'd no longer need faith because I had more month than millennium. I mean, more money than millennium. That was a door that I was quite comfortable in closing. And I had to say to the Lord, and really it just, it's a posture. It's where you position yourself. I had to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm letting you in. I'm not watching this thing anymore the way I used to. I still engage in the conversations, but I'm making sure that Jesus is right in the middle of that thing. And I'm saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, whenever you want to do it. But if you could just allow me every now and then to romanticize the idea of not coming to the office six days a week. Yeah, I'll preach, Lord, I'll, I'll negotiate. Lord, I'll preach on weekends, every weekend if you want me to. But I just want to, you know what it's like. So I close with this. I mean, what areas in your life has that door remained shut and that picture with Jesus knocking really just tugged on your spirit today. Your Savior is there with salvation. He's there with the Word and He's there with deliverance. And He's just gently knocking. And He's saying, if you hear my voice, I will come in and dine with you. He doesn't say, I will visit with you. He says, I will stay with you. In that thing. So what is it? Is it your relationships, as I mentioned earlier on? Perhaps it's a disappointment that you're holding on to, that you're just really not prepared to let Jesus in yet because you're still emotionally caught up in that disappointment and you're not ready yet to let it go so that door's closed. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe, you, maybe you've got that, that anxiety about not knowing what the future holds, what it's going to be like. What happens if it's family? Lord, I'm not letting you into this. I'm not letting you into this room. This room, this room has to stay shut for a while because I've got to sort things out. What about your sexuality? There's a relevant one in today's age. 
What about your sexuality? Are you saying, Lord Jesus, I'll serve you, but please, 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 please don't begin to tell me who I must be attracted to and who I mustn't be attracted to. Is that a door that you've kept closed and Jesus is standing there and saying, if you hear my voice, I will come in, he says, and I will dine with you. I will have fellowship with you and I will free you. We're gonna read such a powerful scripture in closing. But maybe it's your sexuality. What happens if it's your money? That's a door that you're not opening. The weeds have grown so big. <laughs> it's gonna take a bulldozer to get that door open. Maybe it's grown so big you pull the handle down and the door just, it just won't open. What happens if it's your past? You don't want healing from your past. You don't want to forget those things which are behind and press forward towards the high call of God. What about the dreams you've had? You had these big elaborate dreams of what you were going to do and then you came to Christ and all of a sudden you loved Jesus but you still wanted to hold on to your dream. You were not prepared to sacrifice your Isaac. You see, I wanted to become a pilot. That was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to fly. When I came to Jesus, I had to say, Lord, I'm giving you my dreams. My dreams are becoming your dreams. And guess what? I might not be flying planes today, but I'm flying high with the gospel in Jesus' name. And the Lord is good. Amen. What happens if it's anger? You're angry about something. And maybe it's completely legitimate. Maybe someone did you so wrong and you are angry. And you're saying, Lord, you know me. We're tight. We've come a long way together. You're going to need to give me at least three years to get over this. I want to stew in this thing for a while. Maybe that door's closed. Let me tell you, big weeds can grow in three years. Big weeds can grow in three years. What happens if it's depression? I've often heard Christians speak about my depression. <laughs> it's almost like they've taken ownership of it. It's become part of me. I think it's time you opened that door and said, Jesus, you're right there. He's right outside the door, right here, right now. Where you are in your seat, he's right there. He's knocking. Perhaps it's trauma. Perhaps something really, really bad happened to you. You came to Christ and you love him. But your trauma has begun to define you. And Jesus is knocking on that thing all the time. And you know what he's saying. He's speaking very clearly. And you can hear him from outside the door, but you just don't want to open that in. Or maybe you are here tonight and you've actually never let Jesus in at all. You don't know him. That's the first door that needs to be opened this evening. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 and verses 21 and 22. Look at what the Word of God says. Jesus says, to the one who opens the door, to the one who is victorious, to that person who opens the door, He says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. What throne is that? Because this scripture speaks of two thrones. That first throne is victory in this life. That's what Jesus is speaking about. If you will open the door, if you will, if you will hear me, I will give you the right to reign, to sit with me on my throne and be victorious over this life. Just as I was victorious, Jesus said. You will share the same victory that Jesus shared that Jesus had. And he says, and then, and sat down by my father on his throne. This is the th second throne. And this throne, this throne speaks about reigning in eternity. You see, you need Jesus to reign in both situations, but two thrones are offered. And he closes by saying, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 
For those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ and made him your personal Lord and Savior and have been serving him for many years, the altar call that I'm making this evening, and this is just applicable to you in your seats. The presence of the Lord is here right now. As I've been speaking tonight, you know very clearly which doors you've closed over time. Maybe they were open at one point, but you see the spirit of this world is after you. Every door that Jesus opens, the enemy wants to close. And maybe there's some doors that you've closed. I want you to know from the Lord tonight that he's standing at the door and knocking. And he's saying, please just open for me, I'm here. And I'll come in and have fellowship with you. Our relationship will be strong. My delivering power will be present. So that's the first altar call. I'm asking you right where you are in your seats, just to have a conversation with Jesus. He's right where you're at, right there by you. The second altar call I'm gonna make is for those people that have never made Jesus their personal Lord and Savior. Tonight, as you sit in church, for the first time, the scripture has become a reality to you because your heart right now is beating in your chest. And you're wondering, am I right with God? Aren't I right with God? Let me tell you, friend, if you do not know that you are born again, then you are not, and you need Christ. And you are the one that I'm speaking to right now in closing this message. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front, and I'm not gonna go to where you are. But if you are here tonight and you are ready to open the door of your heart to Christ, to Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the creator of everything, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful, mighty God. If you are ready to do that, I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. And at the three, count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, indicating to me and to the Lord that tonight is your night. You're opening that door. It's not staying shut anymore. You're allowing the healing power and the presence and the person of Jesus to come in and flood you. At the count of three, one, two, three, right now, raise your hand high in the air. High in the air, hands going up all over. Please don't put your hand down. Raise your hand high in the air. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm here. I'm, you've, got your, you've got your hand on the door handle. And you're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm opening up the door of my heart tonight. And I'm asking you to come in. I'm asking you to save my life. I'm transferring my trust to you. I'm no longer gonna be dependent on anybody else or on anything else. I'm transferring my trust to you. If that's you, I'm gonna count one more time and then I'm gonna pray. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now. I'm gonna ask, please, people who are standing by, leaders, small group leaders, please just go place your hand on the shoulders of the folks that have raised their hands. The moment someone has placed their hand on your shoulder, you can put your hand down, that's fine. They are simply coming to agree with you in prayer right now, okay? So many people surrendering their hearts to Jesus. So many people who are going all in by letting him in. Now let's all pray this prayer together, please, especially those of you that have your hands raised. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Let's start again. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, my heart has been closed. I've sinned and fallen short and have never allowed you in. But tonight, Lord Jesus, as I declare with my mouth that you died for me, paid the price for my sin. You were raised to life again so that I can be justified and set free. I open the door of my heart and I say, Lord Jesus, come into me and save my life. Forgive me and cleanse me of all of my sin. Tonight, 
publicly, I declare you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.